So before we look at the passage we're going to look at today, I don't know if any of you guys watch Fixer Upper. It's a, a show on HGTV. Uh, it's about this couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, who go into homes and do some remodeling. Uh, an example of that would be this home here that they, they took and they transformed it and made it into this home here. Uh, I don't think many of us would want to live in this home, but I am sure that most of us would be very happy to live in this home. Uh, and so they, you know, they go into a home, they do a lot of work to it, and they transform it into a home that, that pretty much anybody would want to live in. Here's another example of um, a room that they, they transformed. So this is what it was before. This is what it looked like afterwards. Uh, what a transformation took place there. Uh, they opened up you know, walls. They provided a lot more space. They made it very, um, that open concept where people could fellowship and gather together and eat together. Uh, so they, they do a lot of transformation in these homes that they, they do work in. And they take something that's old and falling apart and they transform it into something that's new and that has new life in it. Well, the passage we're going to look at this morning, we see that the Thessalonians had this transformation in their lives. They had been, become new. And because they had become new, they were living differently. They were living a transformed life. So, if you will, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. If you are guests with us and don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat in front of you. And it, the passage we're looking at can be found on page 986, 986. So join with me as I read this passage this morning. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it is, really is, the word of God, which is, not, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. So... Paul is praising these people. They're, he, they're, he's thanking God for the transformation that's taken place in their life. And, you know, all of us enjoy to be praised. It's, it's graduation Sunday, and I'm sure all of us at one point in our life were students of some kind. And we appreciated when a teacher said, hey, good job on that test, or well done on the project that you were doing. We all love those in authority over us or, or somebody, our parents, for instance, to give us praise for something that we've done. We appreciate when, when we receive that praise. And that's what Paul's doing here to the Thessalonians. He's praising them. He's saying, thank God for the work that's been done in you and the change that has transpired in your life. And so Paul is, is thanking God for the transformation that has taken place in the Thessalonians. Well, as we continue the series of living right side up in the upside down world, we also need to have a transformation in our life. And we need to live a transformed life if we're going to live right side up in an upside down world. And this passage teaches us a couple ways how we can live this transformed life. It's what took place in the Thessalonians' lives, and it's what should be taking place in our lives. So let's look at, at that first, the first way that we can live transformed lives. Look at verse 13 again. 
And it says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the Thessalonians had received the word of God. They had accepted it. And this is, isn't just taking it and setting it on the shelf. I'm sure all of us have received gifts at some point in our life, and it wasn't really something we wanted. So, you know, we just stuck it in the shelf, and we never really used it. Or you put it in that re-gift box, and you give it to somebody else the next Christmas time or the next birthday that comes up. Well, that's not what the Thessalonians did. They, they didn't take it and set it on the shelf. They took the Word of God, and they made it a part of their lives. It's like a gift that you get that you use daily. My wife got me a gift a couple months ago, and it might seem funny and trivial, but it means a lot to me. It's a cup holder for my bottle, my huge bottle, for my car. So, you know, the cup holders in your car aren't very big. And so I set my bottle there, and every time I'd stop, the bottle would fall over and hit my gear into neutral. So I got tired of always getting my bottle, knocking my gear into neutral, and then not having, being able to go. So my wife bought me this cup holder that goes inside the other cup holder, and then I can put my big bottle in it, and it keeps it from falling over. That was a great gift my wife gave me, and I use it every day. Every day I bring my bottle to work, and I put it in that cup holder, and now when I stop, I don't knock my car into neutral. So that's, that's the kind of gift that the Thessalonians were receiving. They were receiving this awesome gift of the Word of God that transformed their lives and they were using it in their life. They were applying it to their life. So let's look here in verse 13 at how they received the Word of God and how that changed their life. First, we see that this is the Word that they heard from God. It, it was what they heard. So we've heard the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God is what we're doing right now. You're hearing the preaching of the Word of God. You're hearing the teaching of the Word of God in Discipleship Institute. When um, you listen to podcasts or different things like that, you're hearing the Word of God and you're receiving it. Most importantly, though, I think for us, and we have this blessing, we have the Bible. We can read the Word of God. We don't just have to hear it in preaching and in teaching. We can read it. This is something the Thessalonians didn't have. In fact, we have it in our pockets on our phones. We can read it anytime we want. So in order for us to live this transformed life, we have to read the Word of God. We've got to hear it. And once we hear it, we've got to accept it. Look again at verse 13. It says, You accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. They accepted it as God's Word. So these things that they were hearing... They, they realized it was God's word, not man's word. And the Bible that we have is the inerrant and infallible word of God. It is what God has spoken through his people that we can apply to our lives. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and, and I'll just read it, you don't have to look it up. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So this is the word of God that has been breathed out, that has been given to us, that has been passed down from generation to generation. And we have it in our living rooms, we have it in our bedrooms, we have it on our iPhones. So we need to be reading it, and we need to accept it as God's word. And once we accept it, 
then it can transform us. It can change us. And that's what's the next. If we're going to receive the word of God, the next thing we have to do is allow it to change us. As I just read in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, Is God's word profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness? It's got to change you. It's got to make you new. Another show that at times I watch is American Restoration. This is on uh, the History Channel. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but this, this gentleman, Rick Dale, he takes anything from a toy to a car, from a jukebox to a Coke machine, and he restores it. He takes something that's fallen apart, and he restores it. Here's a, an old Coke machine that's in two pieces, that has no guts to it, and he takes it, and he you know, transforms it into a functioning Coke machine. I actually remember watching this episode. And when they were done with it, they could use it. They could actually get Coke out of it, which is amazing. Another one here is an old tractor. No engine. In fact, the tires are in the, where the engine goes. And he transforms it into a functioning tractor. Well, that took a lot of work. That didn't just happen overnight. So, you know, they, they, get, the, they get whatever the, the project is. They sand it. They, you know, chip away all the old rust and dirt. And, and they have to go search for parts. And then they, you know, usually disassemble it. And then they have to reassemble it. And by the time they're done, it's a functioning machine or tractor or whatever it may be. It's, it's working. Well, the, the Word of God is the same in our lives. It's got to chip away at that rust, at that sin in our life. The, the, you know, the things that, that we're holding on to. It's got to give us a new heart and a new attitude, a new way of looking at life. The Word of God's at work in our lives. Just like Rick Dale works on these machines and makes them new. We need to be, the Word of God needs to be working on us and changing us and making us new. And making us into the image of Jesus Christ. For he is our perfect example. He's what we should look like. And so that only happens though by the word of God working in us and transforming us. So if we're going to live this transformed life, if we're going to live right side up and upside down world, we need to allow to receive the word of God and allow it to work in our hearts and our lives. Well, the second way we can live a transformed life is by imitating the churches of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. So Paul's calling them, or telling them, that they were imitating the churches of God who were in Judea. Well, just like they were imitating that, we need to be imitating the churches of God too. I see imitation every day in my house. And I bet you can guess where. The little one wanting to imitate the older one. Nala wants to do everything her big sister does. Whether she's... You know, playing with a certain toy, she wants to play with that toy. If she's talking about some subject or, or thing, she wants to talk about that. If she's getting some treat or, you know, eating something, Nala wants to eat that. She imitates her almost every day in our house. And that frustrates Peyton. It makes, it's hard for her. She wants to be her own individual and not have her little sister look just like her and do everything that she's doing. But we always tell Peyton 
that imitation is one of the biggest forms of flattery. That means they want to be like you. Well, we should want to be like these churches. We should imitate them. So what does it mean to imitate these churches? What's, what's, what are the Thessalonians imitating? Well, here in verse 14 we see they're imitating the suffering. They're suffering the same things that these churches in, in Christ Jesus were suffering in Judea. So how were they suffering? Well, first, they were being driven out. Look at verse 15 again. It says, Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. So they were being driven out. They were driven out of the synagogues. They were driven out of the cities and sometimes out of their homes. They were pushed out. These people did not want them to be around. But not only did they drive them out, they also opposed them. So anytime they tried to talk or do something, these people were opposing them. They were either contradicting it or debating them or forcing them not to talk. There was this great opposition going on. And thirdly, we see that, that it went as far as hindering them from speaking about the gospel. These, these were new believers. They were excited about the gospel. They wanted to tell other people about the gospel. But they were being restricted from doing that. They were not able to share this good news that they had with others because these people were oppressing them and opposing them and, and causing them uh, to suffer. And we see here that it, at times it even led to, to killing. It says there in verse 14, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. So, if they killed Lord Jesus and the prophets, who's to say that they wouldn't suffer that same persecution? Christ warned us that if he suffered, we should be prepared to suffer as well. Listen as I read John 15:18 to 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So if Christ suffered persecution, we should be prepared for it. He said the world hated him. Well, if it hated him, it's going to hate us as well. That's what it all is about living right side up and upside down world. This upside down world doesn't understand the right side up. It hates that right side up. And that causes them to, to persecute. So not only was Christ suffer, has he, did he suffer persecution, but also the, the author of this, this book, Paul, he knew what persecution was all about. He understood it. And he could speak to it. Listen as I read 2 Corinthians 11:21 to 28. It says, To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure of me being anxious for all the churches. So Paul knew what it was to suffer. He suffered in many ways. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. A night and a day spent in the sea. He was alone at times. He was hungry and thirsty. He knew what it was to suffer for the sake of Christ. He gave it all for Christ. Well, not just Christ has suffered and Paul, but there are people in the world today suffering for the sake of Christ. Let's look at a few statistics. This comes from Open Doors Ministry. Um, I found it on their website. But it says here, every month on average, 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reason. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Those are pretty, pretty big statistics there. Also, we see here that the amount of persecution taking place on Christians has increased 14% from 2018 to 2019. There were 215 million in 2018 and 245 million in 2019. Also, one in nine Christians experience high levels of persecution worldwide. Some other statistics coming during um, the World Watch List 2019 reporting period in the top 50 countries. So this is just in the top 50 countries where persecution takes place. 4,136 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. On average, that's 11 Christians killed every day for their faith. 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. And 1,266 churches or church buildings were attacked. Those are some pretty eye-opening statistics. The world around us in these other countries, especially in these 50 most persecuted countries, people that are Christians are being persecuted. And we need to be praying for those people. But we also need to be prepared to face persecution. We might not face it to that extreme, but we need to be prepared to face some. Some level of persecution. I would ask that you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 1016. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in, the, in that name. 
For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we see here that we shouldn't be surprised when the trials come, when the suffering comes. And we should count it joy when it comes. That we've been counted, we've been honored to serve Christ in that way and suffer for Christ as, as he suffered. And we should entrust our souls to the Creator. Knowing that he's in control. So no matter what happens to us, what kind of sufferings we face or trials we face, the things that come in our lives, we need to trust that God's in control. We've got to entrust ourselves to him, the Creator. The one that created all things and he created us. So we need to be prepared to suffer. Jesus said that those who suffer are blessed. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there is a blessing that comes when we suffer. There is a blessing that comes for persecution. I remember going to Pastor Boone... I don't know, about a year ago, I was studying through Matthew and I got to this passage and I, I just didn't feel like I was facing persecution in my life. I wasn't necessarily suffering as we just saw these statistics in the churches worldwide. And, and I was very challenged by that. And, and he encouraged me that, you know, it, suffering occurs in different ways in, in everybody's life. And, and persecution will come in different ways. But we just need to be faithful to the gospel. We need to be willing to speak the gospel, to obey the command, to share this good news with other people. And we've had this challenge to have God conversations. And I know many of you have been doing that. But that's one way for us to share the good news of Jesus with others. And if that means that we get rejected by that person, or you know, they don't want to talk to us anymore, that's so minuscule compared to the suffering that we're here, we just read about where people are being, their churches are being burned or they're being arrested or uh, imprisoned or even killed. So I want to challenge us to be willing to face whatever that suffering may be, whatever that persecution might be in your life. And remember that God will bless you for it. And there, there is rejoicing that will take place. But before I I share my closing thoughts, I, I would like us to watch this short video. said you are free and you are to share the gospel with everyone then do we have the courage to suffer the consequences 90% born in the church raised in the church saved in the church married and buried in the church will never share Jesus with another person I went looking for tools 
from God. And what I found was the resurrected Christ himself. Those clips come from a movie called Insanity of God, and if you've never seen it, I would challenge you to watch it. He made a staggering thing there. 90% who grew up in the church, that were born in the church, baptized in the church, will never share Jesus with others. That's sad. I hope that's not us. I hope that we have the courage to share Christ with others, no matter what the cost. Because we've got to remember the cost that it paid our Savior, Jesus Christ. It cost him his life. He went to that cross freely. He could have easily chose not to. But he went and he died and he was buried and he rose again so that we might have a relationship with God. It was the only way that we could be made right with God. And so maybe you're in here this morning and you've never heard that truth before. Maybe you haven't been transformed. Well, it all starts with that. You've got to be transformed. You've got to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. He's got to change your life. He's got to come into your life. But if you have been transformed, we need to live transformed lives. And we do that by receiving the Word of God. And we do that by imitating the churches of Jesus Christ. By being willing to suffer for His sake. So are we going to live right side up in an upside down world? If you are, you've got to be transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, it's not always easy to hear it. It can be challenging. But Lord, I pray that we would take the challenge, that we'd be willing to obey the calling Lord, help us not to be like that 90%. May we be like the 10%. May we share our faith with others. May we be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. That his name may be known here in the valley and around the world. And Lord, may we not just receive your word, but make it a part of our lives. May it transform us. Make us more like the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us all the grace to do that. Lord, we can't do it without your help. Fill us with your spirit. May he work in us. May he change us. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.